We fade into the steady sounds of waves crashing against the shore. A human boy, perhaps ten years of age, is crouched by the surf's edge, toiling away over something in the white sand. After a few moments, he stands up, wiping his brow and getting sand in his mop of dirty blonde hair. Satisfied with his progress, he pulls out a red and black pennant flag and pushes it into what we now see is a sand castle, protected from the surf from taller walls of compacted sand with a central archway. Stepping back to let the surf crest over his feet, the boy admires his work, then looks down the beach to the right to compare against the source of his inspiration. The impressive 50-foot limestone walls of the Chalaxian city, Corinton. We can see several ships drifting closer to the real archway, intent on passing through to dock and trade at one of the largest protected seaports in Chelyax. As the boy's gaze lingers on this view, he notices another boy running along the beach in his direction. Closing within earshot, the black-haired runner stops long enough to shout breathlessly, Father's ship has been spotted, headed to Port Grady. He's coming home! Before immediately turning and sprinting back towards the city, Grady gasps, then quickly snatches his pennant from the sandcastle, taking off after his brother. Our view lingers for a few moments on the walls of the sandcastle. As the boys race towards the city in the background, the furthest reach of a wave meets the wall, washing across the creation and eroding some of its structure. Opening text appears overlaid on our view, 50 years earlier. We cut back to the brothers sprinting towards the city. Grady's brother, still far ahead, yells back, Keep up, Grady! Last one there's a rotten halfling! Grady, flagging slightly before the challenge, laughs and surges forward with renewed effort. The sandy beach gives way to a wooden walkway, exiting out onto the cobblestone streets of the city's outskirts. As the two boys enter the city proper, Grady spies an advantage. As his brother turns the corner, following the streets towards the docks district, Grady plunges straight ahead into an alley. Dodging puddles and heaps of trash in the narrow passageway, he approaches the end of the blind alley, then abruptly turns and pushes open a door, bursting into a busy kitchen. Amid surprise shouts, he ducks between people and tables, barely avoiding a rolling pin swung by an irate baker. Plowing through the swinging doors into the shop area, Grady gleefully hops on the counter to the cashier's dismay before pushing through a group of bewildered customers and popping back out onto the city streets more than half a block ahead of his brother. With the docks in sight, Grady hollers in victory as he strides ahead. Looks like that halfling luck didn't help you none, Raymond. His brother roars in rage as Grady barrels down a grade in the paved streets, approaching the pier. Just a moment from crossing the threshold onto the water and thump. Grady's progress is halted as a burly tiefling dockhand steps into his path, causing a collision that would have sent Grady to the ground without the tiefling quickly clasping a hand on his shoulder to restrain him. Oi lads, no running on the docks, lest you slip. My boys and I won't be fishing you out with a drink. Grady meekly nods at this, anything to be released, but it's too late. On the approach and not far behind, Raymond slows to a brisk walk and crosses the threshold, turning back and sticking out his tongue at Grady, taunting him. Grady sighs, shaking himself free of the tiefling's loosened grip, and follows his brother down the dock, already dreading the day of smug jeering ahead of him. Raymond looks back as he walks. So tell me, Slip, what stories do you think Father's brought back from his travels? Grady shrugs off the offensive remark. I reckon he's taken down a, a massive sea beast. M maybe a kraken. No, no a three-headed shark. You're so foolish. I bet he's won a new city for our queen and sent scores of our enemies to hell. The boys continue their banter as they spot the colors of the ship and approach. Seeing their mother in the crowd, they run to her to cling to her skirts, but are surprised to see her turn 
and let out a stifled sob, kneeling down to embrace both boys in her arms. Baffled by this reaction, Grady looks over his shoulder to see the first mate, usually a cheery bearded man with a twinkle in his eyes and a tall tail to boast of. He looks crestfallen standing before them, his head bowed in solemnity, clutching and wringing his cap in his hands. A gasp from Raymond draws Grady's attention to the ship. Gaping punctures and blackened scorch marks scar the ship's hull from some dreadful broadside. The tattered sails hang off the mast like the ragged robes on a beggar. The entirety of the ship is slightly listing to the port side, almost as if leaning in to whisper the hard truth that Grady's about to realize. He turns to look at his brother in shock, who draws away from his gaze, his expression hardening into something Grady hadn't noticed in Raymond before. Grady's grip loosens on the black and red pennant fashioned for him by his father as he curls up into his mother's embrace. As the tears begin to run freely and amidst the sounds of sobs and lamentations, we close in on the pennant as it drops to the floor and our view of the scene fades out. The sea claimed me father that day. It weren't the sea what set him on that path, but claimed nevertheless he was. Pushed into the deep at the behest of men wanting what the sea offers. Trade and treasure, power and purchase. Aye, the sea might grant men these demands. But it takes what it's owed in due course. We weren't knowing it at the time, but me brother and I would wind up being taken too, each in our own way. We joined the Chelish Navy just as soon as we could pass for the proper age. The maelstrom me father braved out of necessity we willingly threw ourselves into. Learned a lot about sailing in those first few years. Learned a lot about myself too. How's I don't be taken well to such rigid authority as what comes from the Chelish captains? The naval code of the Diabolists found no purchase in me heart. Uh, me brother, though. Aye, I reckon he was more at home there than hour before on the shores of Corinton. Took to the structure of it all like a fish to water. Started swimming up the ranks, too. His commission took him off our first frigate together, and he weren't the same person when he returned. Something had changed in him. He weren't the same. We fade in on another black and red pennant, this time real and limply fluttering on top of a tall mast, barely visible through thick fog. Our view is first person, and craning our neck up at it from the base of the mast. The sounds of flapping canvas, waves, and the quiet creak of timber are the only sounds that break the silence as we pan down and look around. We're on a warship, the deck crowded with sailors gathered some with downcast gazes, most looking directly at us. We cut from first-person view to show young, clean-shaven Jeff Bridges, his arms and legs tied to the mast with his shirt ripped, exposing his muscular, scarred back to the crew. Tex appears in our view 40 years earlier. As another minute of quiet passes, we start to hear the faint sound of oars, the tell of a longboat approaching, likely from one of the other two galleons in the flotilla. Finally, the captain steps forward and breaks the silence, clad in his full dress uniform with a bicorn hat. The charter of the indomitable is to bring order and law to the lesser reaches of the world on behalf of our queen. But we cannot provide order and discipline if we do not first possess it. In our cities, on our ships, in the hearts of our people, let this punishment today be a lesson for all on this ship. Observe what disobedience brings. 
for disregarding the naval code, the misconduct of stockpiling rum rations, and general drunkenness on board Her Majesty's vessel of war, I find Junior Petty Officer Grady Tackett guilty and sentence him to twenty lashes at the post, punishment to be carried out forthwith. The captain pauses after recording this verdict in his logbook, the hint of a cruel smile darting across his face. In the interest to see injustice rendered effectively, I've asked Ansin Raymond Tackett from our sister ship to come aboard and administer the flogging. A murmur runs through the crew as Raymond climbs aboard the galleon, played by a young Wes Bentley. Grady stretches to look around and lay eyes on his brother. Raymond picks up the cat of nine tails and makes eye contact with Grady as he approaches, his expression fixed, showing no emotion. He stops two paces away while Grady turns his head back to the mast and sets himself, gritting his teeth. Other officers might give Grady only the necessary effort in their lashings, but Raymond will need to prove he is not letting his brother off easy for the sake of his career. This is going to hurt. The first lash falls with force. Grady winces in pain as the flail takes off some skin, blood welling up where the knotted cord struck. After a beat, the second lash strikes, this one somehow harsher than the one before. Grady grunts as his back lights up with pain. Raymond seems to have found a sweet spot, and he raises the cat above his head and sweeps down again, fanatically with all his might. The sheer power of the hit elicits a cry from Grady that surely must carry to the other two ships in the formation. His knees buckle, sending him falling to the deck, were it not for the ropes binding him to the mast. Grady turns an eye back towards his brother, or who he thought was his brother. Nothing in Raymond's expression makes sense to him. The hate in his eyes, mouth twisted in a sneer of contempt, all alien to the person he believed he knew. With a smooth motion, Raymond raises the flail again, causing Grady to flinch involuntarily at the violence coming. The flail falls, and the deck explodes into a burst of splinters, smoke, and fire. Cries erupt across the Indomitable as several distant gouts of flame illuminate the outline of unknown ships through the fog. Cannon fire whizzes through the air, sending tremors through the deck when connecting with the galleon's broadside. The captain calls out, Ambush! Bottle stations! Whistles sound as the crew finally reacts, jumping into action and scrambling to their stations. The flotilla maneuvers to defend and return fire, but it's too late for the Indomitable. Another volley connects with the galleon's hull, scoring a direct hit on the powder stores in the stern. A massive explosion sends the vessel lurching up from the water, throwing those not killed off their feet into disarray. Grady, forgotten in all this chaos, looks wildly around for someone to free him. He spots Raymond, rising from the wreckage on the deck as the alarm sounds to abandon ship. In the middle of the mass of fleeing sailors, the two brothers lock eyes. Grady shouts at the top of his lungs for help, for mercy, anything, please. Raymond stands there for a moment, his eyes cold, features hardening in disgust. Then he turns away, leaving his brother behind and joining the officers departing in longboats. Grady collapses again against his restraints, all determination leaving his body as he releases a shuddering sob that racks him to his core. For what feels like forever, Grady retreats into himself in the midst of the fight, the ship heavily listing as explosions continue to rock through the structure. When he opens his eyes again, none but the dead and dying remain on board as the sea inches up the tilted deck, intent on plunging all aboard into icy darkness. As cannons echo in the distance, Grady spies the captain half upright against the quarterdeck walls, a large embedded piece of shrapnel wedged clean through his shoulder and into the wooden planks. The captain meets Grady's stare with a rueful smile, blood pulling behind his lower lip. <laughs> 
I'll finish your flogging in hell, boy. See you there soon. With a crack, some wretched beam of the Indomitable finally gives way, plunging the deck and both men into the brink. Grady struggles in futility against his bindings, the fresh blood from his back dispersing into the waters around him. As the broken section of ship falls further from the surface and into the mix of shadows below, we fade away. The sea itself be a realm so vast that it defies mortal comprehension. We sail above, plying our trades, dipping into the shallows at most. But below, there be a boundless expanse of obsidian waters, concealing mysteries that perhaps no man is our intended to glimpse. With such a blackened abyss below our feet, a dominion of obscurity, in which blasphemous things may stir what are whispered of only in the deepest corners of the pirate's taverns. With all that, could you really claim to be surprised, if and I tell you, that I were fished out of that Stygian expanse by a passing whaling crew in the middle of the ocean, with a beard much longer than I have now, several new faculties at me disposal, and an interlude in me memories over the years I was lost at sea. We fade in on two men standing in flickering lantern light, surrounded on all sides by the interior of a fresh whale carcass. Grady Tackett stands before us as a portly gray-haired goatee Jeff Bridges, a la Big Lebowski. Next to him is a younger lad, both clad in bloodied stained tunics holding chakrams with crescent blades. The other man is using his to slice strips of fat and meat from the carcass, while Grady appears to be cutting open the whale's stomach and siphling through the rubbish. The young man looks incredulously at Grady. Is this some sort of tale you try selling people to pass the time in here? Aye, boy, perhaps it is. In that tale, I'd go on to tell ye about how I couldn't make heads or tails out of what happened, and that I tried to settle down away from the sea and start me life over again. Thought I could run away and ignore what happened. But since I were fished out of those waters some thirty-odd years ago, some piece of me deep down has been called back to the sea. I get awful irritable if I'm landlocked. Though drinking helps some, speaking of. Grady pulls out a strange flask composed of blue marred metal with inky black imperfections. He takes a swig and passes it to the lad, who downs a gulp as well. I like to think that beckoning of the seas what ruined me first marriage. Uh, though a truthful man might say it was the drinking and gambling. Grady and the young man finish their work and climb out of the carcass onto the deck of a ship moored at a large harbor. They both change out of their bloody tunics into clothes. Grady dons a well-worn burgundy longcoat and a tricorn hat, wrenches his harpoon out of the whale's body, and returns it to the quartermaster in exchange for his share of the haul in gold. Then he scoops up his gear and ambles in the direction of the gangplank to Port Peril's harbor. The young man calls out after him. Wait! Aren't you going to tell me how the story ends? What do you think I'm out here cutting open whales and chasing God's damned rumors for, laddie? I'll tell you when I find out myself. Our view follows Grady as he walks through the harbor towards the Port Peril streets and lingers on that shot as he disappears into the crowd. <laughs>